You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Another ransomware pandemic breaks out. This one looks more sophisticated and dangerous than WannaCry. Ukraine is again the center, but it's moving out fast. Notes on the Parliament email hack in the UK. And ISIS isn't doing much cyber damage, but its hacktivist sympathizers are really tugging on Superman's cape. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, June 27, 2016. If you're running unpatched or outdated software, you're at risk. That's not exactly news, but a new ransomware pandemic that broke out today like wildfire is. The campaign of uncertain origin, although the Ukrainians think they know who's behind it, is hitting targets in Europe and elsewhere today. Ukraine is particularly affected, again, with banks, including ATMs, many government offices and electrical utility networks, including those engaged in monitoring radiation levels at the former power plant in Chernobyl, suffering heavily. The Russian oil firm Rosneft also reports being affected and has expressed its own suspicions by expressing the hope that the attack isn't connected to ongoing legal disputes with its domestic rival Sistema, a large firm controlled by billionaire oligarch Vladimir Petrich Yevtushenkov. Moscow-based security company Group IB believes the attacks on Ukraine and Rosneft were simultaneous and coordinated. Other major infestations are reported by the Danish shipping concern AP Muller-Maersk, pharmaceutical company Merck, this one in its U.S. operations, Deutsche Post, its operations in Ukraine, French manufacturing concern Saint-Gobain, and the British advertising agency WPP. More are sure to come. The ransom note's text has appeared in English, but Ukrainian authorities blame Russian hackers, especially since the attack coincides with tomorrow's observance in Ukraine of Constitution Day. On this interpretation, the attack's spread is due either to the inherently difficult-to-control nature of malware, deliberate misdirection, or willingness to take such targets of opportunity as present themselves. Researchers at security firms, including Kaspersky and Flashpoint, think the ransomware is a variant of Petya, also known as Pyoterap. We heard from Vectra Networks' Chris Morales, who notes two things about this iteration of the attack. First, the attackers have apparently added a worm-like component to Petya that gives it a transport mechanism that facilitates its rapid spread to new targets. You will recall that WannaCry also spread as a worm. Second, Morales notes that this version is unusually destructive because it encrypts infected machines' boot records, not just their files. Morales said, quote, By the time you find one infected machine, you can assume dozens more have been infected. End quote. In addition to worm-like propagation, there's another similarity to WannaCry. 
this variant of Petya is exploiting the Eternal Blue vulnerability, CVE 2017-0145, an alleged NSA exploit leaked by the shadow brokers. Petya is also said to be exploiting CVE 2017-0199, a code execution flaw in Microsoft Office and WordPad. Both, of course, are known flaws. Jake Cohns of the cyber company Risk-Based Security observed that one would have hoped, unfortunately in vain, because this time around Petya's spreading very rapidly, that the recent experience of WannaCry would have served as a big wake-up call and inspired close attention to patching and mitigation. Security researchers at Alien Vault are tracking the infestation and response. They tell us that the ransom note and the attack code match Petya, and that their telemetry also confirms attacks spreading well outside Ukraine. Alien Vault's Chris Doman says the sample he's looked at, quote, writes a message to the raw disk partition, clears the Windows event log using WebUtil, shuts down the machine, leverages PSExec to spread, and encrypts files matching a list of file extensions. Alien Vault believes that by late morning today the attackers had received more than $3,000, so, like WannaCry, they're basically getting chicken feed, and that Alien Vault hasn't seen confirmation that the attackers have actually restored the machines of those victims who've ponied up the ransomware. Interestingly, according to Alien Vault, the samples one of the earlier Ukrainian victims shared deployed Loki malware and didn't subsequently install Petya, so there may be a couple of coincidental infections circulating simultaneously. The same happened with WannaCry. Jaff malware hit in an apparently unrelated campaign at about the same time. That Ukraine is at the center of this outbreak is, of course, curious, and it does suggest that the motive of the attackers may be other than the obvious one of criminal gain. But it's too early for attribution. We'll continue to follow this story as it develops. We regularly remind you that there's a shortage of qualified cybersecurity professionals to fill the ever-growing number of available positions. IBM is advocating a practical look at that problem, with the notion that in addition to blue-collar jobs and white-collar jobs, there are what they refer to as new-collar jobs. David Jarvis is security and CIO lead at the IBM Institute for Business Value, and he explains... What New Collar is, is it's kind of these emerging technical roles that require technical skill and aptitude, but, you know, maybe don't require a full, you know, four-year traditional bachelor's degree. Um, I mean, obviously, lots of jobs that require that, but I think it's important that we kind of we open the aperture on, on candidates. And so looking at, at cybersecurity, um, you know, I think this is a kind of a, a perfect blend of the concept. So we're really looking at um, new employee profiles. Um, we're looking at new types of roles, and we're looking at developing new partnerships to uh, to help address this gap. And so take me through some of the details of that. When you talk about uh, new partnerships, what kinds of things are you talking about? There are about 1,200, I think, community colleges in the U.S., roughly, you know, you know, give or take a couple hundred. And I think about three to 400 of them have some sort of cybersecurity degree program or a certificate or classes or courses. And, you know, there are a lot of people that are coming out of these programs that are very, very qualified, that have the technical skills and aptitudes that are needed, but may be dissuaded by the job market because it says things like you need a, you know, a four-year degree to even apply for a particular job. So, so I think as part of a new-collar approach, you know, looking at these cybersecurity programs at community colleges, you know, looking at maybe some, some federal, state, and government programs, 
uh, looking at veterans programs, you know, trying to tap that that source of talent as well, trying to, to cultivate these uh, these new and different relationships, right? Don't just recruit at the same 20 or 30 universities you've always recruited at. Um, if we're really gonna if we're really gonna solve the cybersecurity skills crisis, I think we're gonna have to think a little bit differently, expand our aperture, and uh, and, and build some new bridges. I'm thinking about, um, you know, the folks in HR or recruiting uh, who certainly are facing these challenges of trying to get qualified people. Um, and I can imagine, you know, they're, they're used to doing things a certain way. They're used to having checkboxes of how many years you've, you went to college or, or what certifications you have. Um, I could see there being some resistance even from the, the point of them being able to measure these sorts of things. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And I think what, what needs to be done there is, you know, having a, a stronger partnership, I think, between um, the security needs of the organization, between the, 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 the security personnel, you know, no matter how many people are, are part of it, and the HR team having that conversation. And really thinking about, you know, not looking at maybe degrees and certifications and those kinds of checkbox, but really sitting down and thinking more about skills and what skills are essential today for the security function and, and what's, gonna, what's gonna be important in the future, right? And, and get those down on paper, document them, you know, look at different career and outline these clear career paths and skill progressions as opposed to just a, a list of checkboxes. That's David Jarvis from IBM. Observers of last week's hack of Parliament's emails in the UK note poor password discipline and point out the cognitive dissidence implicit in Her Majesty's government's push for back doors when Westminster's email system was so easily pwned. The prime suspects continue to be the Russian security services. That attribution is, of course, tentative and circumstantial, evidence being cited against that conclusion, evidence that weighs in favor of a criminal or a hacktivist, or even the proverbial teenager in the basement, is mostly the crude and obvious approach the attackers took. That, of course, is not dispositive. Cozy Bear was quiet and, well, cozy, in the networks of the U.S. Democratic Party, but Cozy's sister Fancy Bear was loud, expansive, and noisy, not, apparently, giving a hoot who knew she was ransacking Mr. Podesta's correspondence. So subtle and insinuating ways aren't always the hallmarks of intelligence services. ISIS defacements of government web pages in Ohio are joined by similar vandalism in Maryland's Howard County. That, we note, is right in the backyard of a local U.S. intelligence service. That intelligence service wasn't itself affected, but if you go after Howard County, you're really tugging on Superman's cape. We've said it before, and we'll say it again. Joint Task Force Aries, tally-ho, and good hunting. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps. 
keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, welcome back. Um, We have seen reports about a new type of malware that's recently uh, come along. Uh, I'm thinking of things like BrickerBot. These are the the malware that are going out and actually causing harm to IoT devices. What's your take on this? Well, I, I think this speaks to the greater danger of Internet of Things devices. Uh, they're catching on like wildfire. More and more uh, vendors and companies are starting to Internet eyes, if that's a word, uh, their devices in order uh, to get some home automation or automation through mobile devices and computers. The issue here is that in an, an environment such as a person's home that is uh, – not very well equipped to deal with adversaries, meaning we all have we all have our internet firewalls, which some of them have a bit of internet detection or internet prevention system built in. We've all got AV. These IoT devices typically are running an embedded operating system. Many times it's some form of uh, Raspberry Pi Linux or uh, a cut-down version of Linux, but there's no real... Uh, impetus for many of these vendors to spend the extra time and money to put in uh, and harden these systems. I think that when they were first developed, maybe the companies were thinking, we have to get to market quick. We have to speed up uh, our time to market and our development cycles. Security is 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 always a secondary thought or the last thought that vendors have. And you couple that with a governance structure or laws that don't really put the uh, the level of responsibility back to vendors or even uh, consumers. That's kind of where um, where this is all led today. And we've seen stories where, where there's actually been people who are claiming to be mm, gray hats or, or maybe even consider themselves white hats, where they're going out and looking for IoT devices that haven't yet been turned over to botnets. Um, and they're sort of preemptively bricking them, saying, and their point is that, well, if you're not going to protect this device, we're going to disable it so at least it won't be, it'll be neutral, although broken, uh, rather than being used for bad. I think that that is a really bad idea. I think it's a bad idea <laughs> uh, for a couple of reasons. First is uh, you are you're harming a, a, a device or you're making an assumption that that particular device 
is not performing a critical function. You never know when uh, when your code could go haywire or when you have the you're operating off of the wrong information and you're you are affecting a, a mission critical device, perhaps in a hospital, perhaps in an airport. You never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you without knowing that asset information, you're taking a risk. And the second point here is that it is a form of computer fraud, at least in the United States. So uh, you are breaking the law, even though you have great intentions. It's just, uh, it falls into the same category, I guess, as offensive security operations. Well, they hacked me, so I'm going to hack them back. And it all comes back to, you never really know what or who is on the other end of, uh, of the connection. Right. Better safe than sorry. All right. Yeah. Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K Cyberwire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes, and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.